Feeling chilly? SG Heating and Cooling. Fixing it right, day or night. SG Heating and Cooling is located at 7005 Cooley Lake Road in West Bloomfield. SG offers free estimates on new equipment and 0% interest financing for up to 18 months. Eligible equipment qualifies for rebates from Consumers Energy and DTE. SG will clean your furnace, verify it is working properly, and perform a safety inspection for only $59. SG also offers duct cleaning and sanitizing starting at $300. You can find us on the web at sgheatingcooling.com or call 248-242-6730 today for all of your heating and cooling needs. SG Heating and Cooling, fixing it right, day or night. 248-242-6730. You're listening to CRBRadio.com. The words and opinions you are about to hear are of the hosts and do not reflect the management, sponsors, or affiliates of Cave Radio Broadcasting. This the real nonsense, you better call in, tune in, you might even hear your best friend. You know we live very sad, you better tap in. Got some real knowledge for all you young men, not just for men, it's for ladies too. All ages, we don't care if you 82, cause it's the real nonsense. The real nonsense. For real, let me hear that. Coming to you live at Stone's Throw from the Motor City in courtesy of Cave Radio Broadcasting Studios in fabulous Redford, Michigan. This is The Real Nonsense, hosted by Dr. Chris Rogers and Melody Walker. And here we go. Mics are live, ladies and gentlemen. We're live? Great, we're live. We're live. So The Real Nonsense podcast is sponsored by Melodic Retirement Services. Prepare for your future today. For more information or to make an appointment for consultations, call Melody J. Walker at 248-301-2439. Retire healthy and wealthy. Yes. All right, now let's go. And wealthy. So you know what? Today is a wonderful day. Absolutely. Today is February 26th, mm-hmm. and today marks a very, very, very special day for the Real Nonsense Podcast because today is the first day we've ever had two guests Woo. in the same room at the same time. Wow. And so oh, we nice. have the pleasure today of having uh, Principal of Detroit uh, Communication Media's Art School, Danya Odom, and then we also have Andrea Tom. Thompson, founder and CEO of the Ladies Entrepreneur Empowerment Circle. So let's just snap our fingers to that. Like wow. that's just like amazing because wow. we have wow. by, we have some we have three women because I'm going to include myself right. that are very 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 um, I want to say just phenomenal. Absolutely. So I'm going to open up the floor and Absolutely. just um, have um, uh, I think I want to start with with because uh, I know you. you very powerful, but I, I want to go ahead and start with um, Danya. Absolutely. Odom, Principal of, of, of Communication Media Art School. And part of why we wanted to talk to Principal Odom today, Chris, why don't you go ahead and kind of enter, uh, kind of bring us in why or what we were talking to Dr. Odom. And I keep saying Dr. Odom. Soon. Okay. Soon, Dr. Soon. Odom. Very right. soon. Um, soon. Very soon. But some of the things that that are uh, affecting, you know, we're talking today about Detroit uh, public schools. We want to talk today about the literary, um, the literacy uh, lawsuit. And then we also want to talk about it was equity and inclusion. Absolutely. So so we're going to talk to Principal Odom about her journey. Okay. um, Where she started, what kind of what kind of leader and what kind of leader she was, how she transformed from that leader to the leadership 
mode that she is in now and just kind of let her navigate us uh, and take us on that journey of, of her own transformation and where she is now. Right. So welcome. Welcome. Hi, welcome. It's good to have you, you here. It's good me. to have you here. We've had some educators on this show, but I think today we have we, we we're going to have a good time and talk about this. Right. Oh, yeah. I think what we hear from you today is going to be impactful and powerful for a lot of people moving forward who want to get into this role. Right. OK. Right. So, Danya, go on to go ahead and, and kind of start us off and talk to us about, you know, your journey and where you start and where you are now. OK. So I was raised correctly i have to give honor where honor is good due <laughs> so the folks that have raised me professionally um my mentors linda spide and um dr rima reynolds vassar has really poured into me and my leadership journey and my awakening has really began with those folks at at the forefront of my transformative change so i i do dr um reynolds vassar is a professor at Eastern Michigan University and Linda Spite who is my close mentor she is a former principal at Mumford so those ladies have been extremely instrumental in my growth so make sure I big ups to them yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know you, hey I was AME but now I'm Baptist but I know <laughs> oh, wow. I know how you get to honor folks and I, I want to so I am a 26 year um Educator, born and raised in Detroit. Okay. Um, Detroit is in my bones. I love Detroit, um, but I had not always had a um, a very pro-black anti-blackness was at the forefront of a lot of the leadership practices and how I just led my community without me even knowing. So I started off as a social studies teacher. I was going to change the world. No, actually, let me just go back really fast. I was going to be a lobbyist. Okay. Yeah. Politics. Yeah. I was going to work for nonprofits and persuade people to pass these ridiculous laws so my country, my company could be filthy rich. Okay. Um, I spent a summer at Persian um, with my Africana studies um, teacher from Wayne State. And he showed me that we need more of me, more black women that are role models, because there's not a lot of educated, well, at the time, but we all know that black women are the smartest women on this planet. We are the most educated. We have the most advanced degrees Say that. than any, any other group on this planet. So, you know, black girl magic in all areas. Absolutely. So... I spent some time and I realized I wanted to be a teacher. So I started off as a teacher. Um, My first real job was a teacher. And from there, it just went on to my next phase of leadership, curriculum leader, assistant principal. I was an AP for one year and I was drafted into the principalship. Gotcha. So that's kind of like the background. So in terms of where I was, um, you know, it's, it's a saying, when you know better, you do better. So I'm in the know better, do better phase. But I didn't. So, you know, sometimes we crave um, power and control and oppressive practices because, you know, we are brought into this narrative that black children need to be policed. They need to be controlled. They need to be monitored and edited. And we have all these positions around us that, you know, have fed into this this whole narrative about you know black children are are to be feared mm. but they're to be loved 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're to be educated and embraced. And nurtured, for sure. So that's what that's what we're doing now at the school that I lead. We okay. are looking at promoting black joy, black respect, and just an awareness to our children that they are enough. And the staff, too, because when you free yourself from these oppressive practices, then you don't have to worry about police and children. So, yeah, right. you know, um, Dr. Rogers and I have a unique relationship. Yeah, so we started this journey together. But um, I was terrible. I have a... Um, I'm working <laughs> oh, you're self-admitting. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I was terrible, and I actually fall into terribleness, like, often, and I have to get snapped out of it. Dr. Rima's really good at that. And when I say terrible, I prided myself on making life at school unbearable for children. Why did you do that? Why do you think you did that? Because I felt like that they needed order and they needed control in a school that was chaotic. There was no learning going on. But now my awakening is that at what expense did you have this pseudo control? Because you really didn't control them. They just found ways to circumvent all of the rules and all the while, I'm the one that's hated. They hated me. So what do you, and, and before I, because this is a good conversation piece, and I want to bring Andrea on, but before mm -hmm. I do that, let me ask you this. What 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 credited, or what do you contribute your awakening to? Like, what was the process for that? So thank you for asking that. So, you know, um, con contrary to what people want to say, if you want to hide something from black people, put it in a book. No, when you want to wake black people up, Give them a book. You open the book. <laughs> you tell them about it. You make Absolutely. sure you tell them how great it is. But theory, mm -hmm. more specifically, Muhammad Khalifa's book, he did some work on culturally responsive leadership. And that has been that, Bettina Love, with um, we want to do more than survive. We want to thrive. And, and I can't say this enough. You know, Dr. Rima's work around black parenting and just, you know, Derek Bell, um, critical race theory so what made me do this and i was involved in a um, leadership program i was selected i applied with emu and um, my school district and i was one of the one of seven and we were introduced to leadership theory got it and we were exposed to all of our terribleness okay all right, so let's pause right there. And and you may not know that Andrea is also DPSCD too. Okay. Um, I don't know if she wants to talk about that today, but I can. Okay, well let's talk about that. <laughs> Go ahead and introduce yourself, Andrea. Do your thing. Um. So hello everyone. My name is Andrea Thompson, founder and CEO of Ladies Entrepreneur Empowerment Circle, a women's organization that does sisterhood business and networking with five thousand Black women entrepreneurs and business owners in the wow. city of Detroit. Wow. So I've been with Detroit Public Schools Community District for twenty five years as a college advisor mm. and unlike my sister over here I have the dream job because I help students live their best life so I help them decide if they want to do college if they want to do skill trades military or entrepreneurship and many times it's um, really easy for me being born and raised in Detroit and still living in Detroit I'm really connected um, to the people so I understand where they are um, because I myself have lived a lot of our students' experiences. So I'm able to relate to them. Um, early on, um, I thought I wanted to be an accountant, um, but the Lord changed that direction. And so, um, 
you know, as my sister said, I have to honor those um, who have poured into me. I'm a church girl, so I have Mm -hmm. many spiritual um, church mamas. Um, Back in the 70s in Detroit, it was a lot of um, community mothers Mm -hmm. um, who would sit on the porch and watch over us and get us (laughs) together. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to send love to them and their families. Um, But I have a strong family. Um, I have a a very strong father, and my grandmother is still living, who's 92. Wow. So um, I was raised, you know, surrounded by wisdom and love. And since I was a child, I had a heart for children. Mm. I had um, a lot of friends who endured a lot of suffering as we were growing up. And the Lord allowed that to be the foundation for me to lead with. So I lead with love. And you're absolutely correct. Our children need love. And um, I think they need even more love than ever before in this pandemic. Um, But as you said, I did lead the Detroit Literacy Lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Um, We sued the state of Michigan in 2016. Um, Actually, my son and six other students did. Um, I didn't know that Osborne at the time was the lowest performing school in the country. Um, it kind of came about after we realized Darnell Early at the time was the emergency manager over Flint Water, and it was poisoned. A few months after that, um, we met with some lawyers, and the lawyers was like, what's happening to your children is a hate crime. And I was like, mm. it is. You know, wow. what can we do? Because yeah. we had been um, going to the community meetings, meeting with the politicians, but we didn't know Bessie DeVoe at the time was buying seats and buying votes. Wow. So, yeah. you know, um, I do want to change that narrative that, um, you know, black parents in Detroit is not involved in their children's education because we are, yeah. you know, but um, when you have a system that's against you and strategically um, attempt to silence your voice mm. at every angle, you know, the world really don't know and don't understand the love that black parents have for their children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I say all the time, any mother, you know, that um, gives birth wants the best yes. for their child. But under these years of um, the state takeover, after Detroit voted against an emergency manager and our previous governor sent emergency managers anyway, um, what they didn't realize, why they were so strategic in trying to um, demise our, our public education, they did, they forgot about the children. Mm. They forgot to put books in the classrooms. Mm-hmm. They forgot to repair the buildings. You know, they forgot to allow our children to have access to literacy. And so um, the children wanted to fight back. They wanted to stand up for themselves. So this was an idea of a young this was this was an idea of the students. Wow. Yeah, wow. Seven students. Um, they called them the Detroit Seven. Seven students sued the state of Michigan. Wow. And, um, you know, as a community leader and an advocate for youth, I stood by my son. And I stood in the face of attacks and adversity and whatever else I had to do. Wow. Because as a mom, you know, I have every right to fight for my child's education yes, but absolutely. at the time I was working at Osborne it felt so hopeless because it has seemed so dark during those um, days this was long before the current mayor long before the former police chief when we had even more blight and vacant houses mm-hmm. around and street yeah. lights yeah. weren't on and it just didn't seem to be hope but um, we did lead the Detroit Literacy Lawsuit. I want to shout out my community mother, Helen Moore, mm-hmm. um, who's mm-hmm. been training and leading me for you like... You know Helen Moore? 
Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. Mother Moore. Absolutely. Oh, Mother Moore. Yeah. Oh, Mother yeah. Moore. Who is Mother Moore? Well, I don't Moore. know who Mother Moore is. Oh, <laughs> Mother Moore been fighting for education for 50 Everybody. years. A long time. And yeah. so um, when we filed it in 2016, you know, the lawyer said, you're going to have to get the community behind you. So in 2017, I went to Mama Like Mine. Listen. And, you know, she was like, you know, y'all let them do this to your kids. And I said, I can't be falling out at the school board meetings like you. I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> But I'm going to pray, and I know that God is going to do this, and he did. So what does it mean that, that, this, that, that you guys won the lawsuit? What does mm-hmm. this mean now? So first, what, what, it, what it does is it gives our black children hope, the next generation, and the generations to come to know that you can win if you stand up. Okay. Right. That's number That's one. one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so in 2020, um, Detroit Public Schools Community District did receive $2.8 million dollars as a result of the uh, Detroit Literacy Lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And the current governor had promised to fight for the next $94 million, um, that's supposed to come to Detroit Public Schools Community District that she's been recently speaking of. And so we know that with proper funding, our children could actually access a quality education. And they deserve that. And um, I also want to thank the Biden and Harris administration who recently sent Detroit Public Schools Community District, $1.2 billion with a B Woo. of our tax dollars. And Dr. Vitti have decided to slate um, $700 million of those dollars to renovate current um, yeah. schools. Yep. And so and if you CMA go, is one of them. Yes. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. CMA is one of them. So if you go on mm-hmm. the website, you can find those seven meetings. We should okay. be at the table. Okay. Four are online. Three are in person. Um, because it's important because those are our tax dollars. Yeah. So we should know what that's going to look like. Right, where that money is going. At the first facility meeting, he did recommend he was going to sell Cooley High School. And um, my women's organization, we submitted a proposal to purchase it. Okay. We have a developer. Uh, we've secured the funding for the past two years. Okay. Because now with the next level of advocacy for the community, you know, we're looking like, you know, you took our schools from our children. Now let us take the vacant schools that's been sitting in our community as crime hubs and and let's use them to make impact, great impact in the community. It's been vacant about 20 years, right? 10 years. 10 years, okay. Cooley's been vacant 10 years. I know Durfee was picked up. I worked at Durfee. Durfee Durfee was never vacant. I graduated Mm -hmm. from Durfee out of middle school. Those black children were displaced out of their school, put into a high school. Who wants their preschooler going to school with a 12th grader? Well, I meant the facility itself was sold, but the school transfer into Central. So it was sold before um, Dr. Vitti and his administration right, right, under yeah. the state takeover, yeah. Judge Rose yeah. passed that on for a dollar a year for the next exactly. 50 years, yeah. even against the community's will. Mm-hmm. And so, so this is why it's it. important to be at the table. So, Daniel, what are they doing over at CMA when they renovate? What are they doing? So, you're right. So the CARES money, um, opera funds have been um, identified to actually every single school in the district is going to receive some type of capital improvements with that money. Wonderful. So there are some schools that will get more. Um, CMA has always been a jewel in the in the district, and we actually moved from a smaller school to the Taft-Ludington um, campus. Beautiful campus. It's just not 
a high school campus, but it's going to be a high school campus. So um, phase one of our renovations will be a new athletics complex. Yes. Nice. Um, football field in the back all right, while all right. preserving yes. all of the nature around us. The nature won't be disturbed. So that's important that we honor our environment. Have as you well. seen a deer over there yet? Lots. Wow. And yeah. um, our media arts <laughs> program is going to be expanded. So, yeah, but, you know, you hit it right on the nail on the head, you know, making sure that there are opportunities. We always talk about, you know, this achievement gap. You know, Gloria Lawson Millens talks about this and Kamika Royal, Dr. Kamika Royal. There's no, op- there's no achievement gap. There's an opportunity gap. Yes. And the debt that America owes to black and brown children, mm-hmm. there's no offer monies, no monies that can replace that. We should be getting reparations into yes. our great, 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 <laughs> great yes. children, our grands and grands are gone. 400 There's, years plus of reparations. Uh, well, we're Absolutely. 500 years into this process. So, yeah, because enslaved, not slaved, enslaved mm. Africans are due Reparations and that literacy um, lawsuit is part of that. Not to sound ghetto, but people were saying that the PUA was our reparations. Oh, not well, even close. Well, so here, so it it <laughs> was due. Sorry. It was due. <laughs> yeah. It it was a it was a token, but it's due. Black people deserve everything. everything. This federal government has because yes, absolutely it is intentional. You spoke mm-hmm. about that earlier. This mm-hmm. is all part. If hey, you crying. want if you want to know what people believe in, just follow the money. Betsy DeVos <laughs> is the architect. Yes, she is the architect of yes, the siege is. on public education and Detroit was her playground and just not to mention that you know when we think about that black people only represent 14% of this US population and 83% of the educators in front of our children are white females Mm -hmm. so who is controlling the narrative okay Mm -hmm. facts Andrea, are you still are you still at the school level, Andrea? I am still at the school, school level. Okay, school so level. I have 25 years. So I'm looking to um, retire soon. And um, you know, I love children, and I love our students. And I and I am so happy um, to be sitting next to another passionate um, educator. You know, um, we have mis- been mistreated and traumatized. You know, throughout this process. Yeah, absolutely. But many of us, we stayed. Because of the love and dedication and commitment we have not only for our students, but their families in the community. And so as we look to um, make it right, so to speak, with our students by repairing their schools and making sure they have access to literacy and the materials they need, we need to take care of the educators as well. Absolutely. So so before I ask the question I want to ask, I'm I'm going to say this on the air, right? So I, I work for the district as well. I'm in central office. Uh, one of the reasons why I'm in central office is because of this lady right here. So, Yay. you know, the, the 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 growth, the professional. And I waited around the district for a long time. I started in 93, just kind of waited in the waters for a long time. Uh, but I got with the right administrator as a new administrator. And, and I learned a whole lot of things mm-hmm. to the point where when I interviewed, it was because I knew it. Mm-hmm. I was groomed. I was taught. I was trained. Um, and I learned. And it was mm-hmm. important. Um, and I was given a lot of responsibility, right? So, so I want to say thank you for that. Oh, you're um, welcome. My pleasure. Be, be, because I, I was able to get there. So you're at the school level. She's running a building. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I work for credit. I work 
I my I am the supervisor over credit recovery, so I understand mm. oh the academic part. But but what I want to ask the both of you is, what is it like really navigating this? Because um, I'm not in the building every day, so what is it like navigating this with the children and and and, and trying to repair what they've lost over the last couple of years emotionally and academically. Yeah, I want to speak to that. Yeah. So, so this hustle back to normal, normal has never done anything for black people before, mm-hmm. during, or post-COVID. Mm-hmm. So we're in the midst of, um, we call it, so um, Dr. Um, Lassa Billings talks about these three tsunamis. This mm-hmm. is a tsunami. Mm-hmm. This is something that mm-hmm. is, we are going to see the effects of this for years to Absolutely. come. You talk about the whole credit recovery. So white folks got it. California said, forget the SAT, period. That part. Right, right. They understood. Mm-hmm. So if you can stop the biggest, biggest company mm-hmm. with standardized testing mm-hmm. and the Ivy League schools are saying, we don't even care about a mm-hmm. test then why are we hustling back to a normal mm-hmm. that still has Michigan at the very bottom? Mm-hmm. So let's just be, let's make it make sense, you right, know? Right, yeah. <laughs> make it make sense. That's what we do. You know. So I want to, I want to, I want to add to that. It's heavy. So um, I totally agree. Um, even prior to the pandemic, we were testing our children like five to six months out of nine months. There was no space for real educating. Right. Um, educators was under stress with the pacing chart. And so now we, we, we need that to be lifted. The evaluations to be lifted so that we can spend time with these children and we can deal with their mental health. You know, a lot of our students are dealing with families that's been wiped out. Yeah. A lot of them are living in fear because grandmama passed because of COVID. Auntie passed because of COVID. You know, my cousin passed because of what's going to happen to me? Where am I going to live? You know, and we know Maslow hierarchy of needs is 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 food, water, shelter. Right. Our children don't even know what's going to happen because, you know, so many what over um, six hundred thousand Americans have left here. Our our families we know in communities of color have been severely impacted. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, and and just to the credit the district, I I do have to say that um, Dr. Vidi is doing a good job with allocating. ARPA funds to make sure that, you know, health and wellness is at the forefront of our blueprint 2020. And not to mention that there are um, laws in place. Um, The state has actually secured, um, you know, funding for schools to be able to do tiered interventions. So, you know, that that's promising. Every school has a social worker. Every school has a nurse. So we are working towards making sure that those wraparound services are in place. Yeah. I do want to shout Dr. Vidi out because uh, he sat in the first row in federal court with me. Wow. <laughs> wow. Vidi. Yes, he did when we were uh, fighting this Detroit literacy lawsuit. Wow. So I do want the community to know that his heart is with our children. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, yeah. being um, uh, working uh, as a, a outside vendor, you know, to DPSCD going in, um, a lot of my clients, you know, teachers may vent and things about, you know, just things that they're going yeah. through. Um, and it was nice. It was refreshing to see Dr. Vitti come in because his or to me, it really felt that his heart was really with um, uh, making DPSCD better. Mm-hmm. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. I said, Lord, please give him raises. Please give him some more money because I just wanted um, 
I think maybe just more of a blessing because yeah. for educators to go into schools every day and do what they do, mm -hmm. I mean, they deserve ample pay. They deserve ample yeah. benefits. They deserve to be able to retire yeah. with a nice pension and not take a pay cut. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. But anyways. Um, but, you know, so, every, 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 every leader has to own and have, has to be accountable for their actions and whatever absolutely. decisions yes. they make. However, what I will say in this case, DPSCD is – even though it has downsized tremendously over the last 20 years, right? Yeah. I mean, we had 200 buildings. Mm -hmm. It's 100 now, right, okay. in operation. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a big drop, mm -hmm. okay, yeah. in the last 15, 20 years. What I will say, though, is uh, uh, to give him credit, this is a it's a massive undertaking to run a, to run a district this big. Yeah. Like, massive undertaking. And I'm not even at that level. I'm, like, kind of, like above the school level but not at that level and and I and I look at, and say this is massive work massive political work massive public perception work massive academic work massive human capital work it is just massive massive work well, well it I'm, comes with a healthy salary I want to say yeah, half, a million, with a healthy salary. Yeah. half a million <laughs> um, he's 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 paid very well and I also want to give credit <laughs> yeah. to the um, half a million how you know it's salary DFT it's public it's public, it's public. that's yes. public, information. Public, oh, okay, public information and um, he are, received that raise are. during the pandemic but I want to go back to the teachers raises um, I'm DFT <laughs> I stand in solidarity with my sisters and brothers and I want to shout out our union president because it was the teachers and educators who fought for our race. Absolutely. So we so, want to make sure that that credit so lies that, that where credit it needs goes to be. To go. Okay, so well, let that me, goes it's, to the people. It's a 10 year coming though. So the counterparts <laughs> in too. southeastern Michigan, so Oak Park, Southfield, um, Berkeley, all the surrounding school districts, their teachers have yeah. been, you know, at this max. So this is just something that has, they're do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because so what I what not, I did here is that they took pay cuts before, and now they just get afford them right. back to them. So okay. yeah, they're they're reinstating a salary that they should have, and it's really not cost of living is not added into it. Mm -hmm. But you know, good job, amen that they're getting. Well, I think, yeah, or should. hopefully, it would be it would be more. And I kind of want to switch gears a little bit because it's getting kind of passionate. You know, we're talking about money and stuff. No, I'm just kidding. And this is the last <laughs> year. It only important. lasts yeah. for two years um, because of the COVID relief funds. Okay. Right. So it's, we only have one more year of it. Correct. Okay. Yeah. All so right. We'll see yeah, what that you goes. You might want to move on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're going to move on from there. Um, so going so, so back. Get, yeah, oh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, getting, back, getting back to the students' wellness and health mm -hmm. and those type of things in the building, what is, what is that daily experience like? dealing with them what is that so like? for me the daily experience is number one checking in with them to make sure they are okay and once you ask that question it opens up conversation to what's going on with them what's going on at home what mm -hmm. they're experiencing in their communities and it's hard to focus on your education when you have to deal with so many other things that maybe you shouldn't be dealing with as a student, yeah. um, but I hate to bring up something tragic, but I do want to lift up. We just had a five-year-old in our community shot in the face twice by a 16- and 17-year-old. Yeah. That's a 10th and 11th grade student. Right. I work in high school. So if we want to look at where possibly our kids' mental health is, that may not be the greatest example, but we have to deal with that. 
Yeah, so if I could just jump in real quick. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Go ahead, I'm sorry. This is just me sharing so, the Facebook. So student voice is super important. So I, I, I talked about Dr. Rima Reynolds-Vassar working with me. And um, Dr. Rima and Dr. Clyde Burnett, they work with a group called the Student Plug at CMA. Mm-hmm. And we knew that student voice, just like you supported your son with the literacy uh, lawsuit. So we knew that students had to actually be part of the co-construction of the table. Yes. Not sit, sitting at the table. They have to make their own table yes. where we listen to them. So when you look at student um, youth actuatory, um, participatory research, YPAR, it's important that students are part of every day. You ask, how does it look? Yes. So at a CMA, so we don't do suspensions. We've gotten rid of suspensions. Wonderful. We don't have detention. We don't have suspension. We don't have a dress code. I mean, um, uniforms, we have a really relaxed dress code. Students can actually, black children wear their hoodies. Oh, in the I love it. They can wear a hood because they're not robbing anyone. Oh, I love it. So Amen. there's a whole language behind it. There's a whole body of research that talks about people wearing hoodies. But all of those changes came because I worked with those coaches and our students. And they interrogated me. They called me on the carpet about policies that I hid behind. You know, mm-hmm. so... Um, the students are responsible for really making CMA, CMA a place where joy can be possible. Oh, I love that. So we, we don't. You don't. When you come into the building, um, students, self they self-correct. Like, you're not, you don't talk to children bad. Like, and when you do, there's a check. Quick. And it's a hard check. <laughs> it's a hard check hard from check. the children. And there's a support of the hard check from the adults. So that's the culture that you want to create when yes. you start talking about, you know, how does this look? Yeah. You come in the building and you are asked, do you mind if we look at the bag? So that's a whole nother situation. Right. Because we're not Oxford. So I'm not sure why we are ramping up all our security in our buildings, but that's a whole nother show. So, so let me ask this. So, I like that. So one of the things no that I've been talking about in meetings since, since the school year started was, and, and, I, and I, I, as a parent and a grandfather, I'm totally in tune with making sure the children are fine, their well-being, their welfare, and all of that. But the adults, oh. and, I, and I have to speak to that, <laughs> and I want to hear your input on that, and it's important that we, that we hear it and the audience hears it. I think some of the adults are, are really, really struggling. Um, and I mean in every aspect from school level, Central office level, executive level, everywhere. Like adults are struggling with this. Um, so what, what's your take on that, both of you? What, what's your take on that? So I want to go back to what I shared with the students. Adults are experiencing a lot of loss as well. Yeah. COVID has have changed all of our lives, and the, and each of us has responded to it differently. Yeah. You know, everyone processes loss different. Yeah. Um. So, like the sister said, we're going to see the effects of this trauma from COVID for months and weeks to come. Everyone, they don't, some people don't even know what's happening to their bodies or what's happening to their mind. A lot of people are suppressing yeah. what what has happened or what is happening. It definitely changed me. I can tell you that for sure. It ha- it's changed me. Yeah. So, I always look at it as <laughs> political 
emotional just manslaughter right Mm -hmm. because to intentionally neglect the welfare and the just the mental support that adults need yes but it goes back so so teachers are not teacher preparation programs have a lot of work to do there's some Mm -hmm. missteps there's some serious gaps in how we train teachers in this country to really understand the counter narratives the storytelling the lives of the children that they serve yeah. and their their lives matter and how they educate nurture children mm-hmm. so when you don't allow adults or you encourage adults to keep yourself at bay then that becomes problematic so this problem came even before the pandemic there was a, a, a so the pandemic just exposed all of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in Detroit, yeah. in order for you to be an administrator, you had to live in Detroit. In order for you to be a firefighter, you yeah. a cop. So when you start thinking about the 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 sense of community mm-hmm. and the the mass exodus out and the gentrification that's going on mm-hmm. in the community where we need more people like the folks in this room mm-hmm. until we start addressing teacher preparation programs and so we until we invest instead of divest in our communities until we understand that people can retire wealthy and healthy and then people can make sure that retirement means that you just pour into your community a different kind of way Mm -hmm. and when people start making it make sense in a way that connects it's all that sankofa love you know the community the village has the village is us the village is us i love that yes this is um I love it. I mean, we have so many different. Um, Chris, go ahead, because you you look like you want to say something. No, no, no. I'm li- I'm listening. I, I look like I want to say something. I wanted to circle back to something you'd said earlier about the demographics of the educators mm-hmm. in America. If I understand correctly, is it less than two percent or less than one percent of educators are black males? Oh yeah. So yeah. that's that's yeah. less it's than one. That's less a, than 1%. that's a very very dismal dismal yes. Like that. That sounds like something that's fixable. Like yeah. Well, well, what like my, in the short term? It's not. <laughs> my it's, my argument has been no, all year long that gotta, we don't have like, a lot of their education is ran by women for the most part. Women, there are more, there are way it more. Hasn't people, been like that. That, it hasn't always been that I'm way. Gonna, I'm it's that way right now because patriarchy in this country is is prominent. So you may see education ran by women in terms of. The dominant, the, the dominant people that's in classrooms, but right. when you really look at principals, superintendents, superintendents in this country are white men. Right, I get that. So I, that part superintendents I get. run education. I get that. Um, so secretary of education, you know. So I'm gonna push you on that because although there's a lot, it's not it's not so much about the numbers; it's about who has the controlling okay. power. Well, let me let me let me say. The workforce is women. In is women in numbers. But oh, you know, absolutely. They, but the decision makers up. absolutely are men. Are men. But they've okay. been pushing. But they're not black men. Let's be no, clear on that. No, they're white. They're okay. white. Let's they've be been pushing well, every, black, black men yeah. <laughs> out of the classrooms and schools since I was hired in 1999. I know yeah. when I was coming up in Detroit Public Schools under Arthur Jefferson, this is when he ran it for 20 years, and Coleman Young, our legendary mayor, ran the city for 20 talk years. About Young. It was a lot of black male educators. But this was also during the time that the um, government started creating laws and policies around 
um, the way they wanted black men to interact with black children. And I specifically remember hearing black men say, from the school level and in the juvenile homes I was working in, oh, I'm getting out this field. You know, they coming after my career if I interact with this black child a certain type of way. They don't want me to talk a certain kind of way. They don't want me to discipline a certain kind of way. And so for too many years, our black men have been pushed out. And and I I joined, I started in the district when that was kind of the narrative. And if you had... And and we were just who we were. Yeah. Like when I came into the building, I was just me. But it was working. I was I was oh, and it worked. For <laughs> it me. was working. I was on I was on Linwood at Durfee. It was working. Hey, I was me. I had everything going on at 12th Street, Dexter Boys, you name it. I had but it. we need and I that had to for be the me. Boys. And it was wow. like, well, you're to you. But it goes back to the academy. We're though. to you. It does. It goes yeah. back to higher ed because you see, you pour into you have so many different buckets where you're an example with the whole PhD program. So we're not even going to talk about the few black men that have PhDs and advanced right. degrees. But education itself is less desirable to a lot of black people, not just black men, but black women, because in this country, look at the negative stigma on education. It's not a respected, revered, but it's the most important profession. It's the most important job that, that we have. Because you're entrusted to mold children. So black men have been relegated to be gym teachers. Yeah. Disciplinarians. Security deans. Security deans. um, Coaches. You know, so, you know, they didn't make it very attractive to them. So Mm -hmm. you understand why. Um, But let's, let's go back to everyone. Everyone. When you were educated by a black woman, you your your odds your odds of being successful has gone up like a hundred percent. Everyone needs to be educated by black women. It doesn't matter if you're white, Asian, black women are the educators. I agree, but um black men bring black balance. And I want to say to um, destroy a village, you take the men out. This is true. And this is what has happened. Because when I was coming up in the 70s in Detroit, the school systems were strong with men. As a matter of fact, the custodians was in one building for like 20, 30 years. They had been with two and three generations of a family. And that custodian may not have had a Ph.D., but that custodian taught you more. Than what that person with a Ph.D. taught, because a lot of people with Ph.D.s live the isolated, sheltered life. And they don't they may have book smart, but they don't have street smart. And when you have children, some of them, not all. (laughs) So and when you have children that have to walk the streets and catch the bus, they need street smart and survival skills as well as. But let me just let me just say. So they destroy the village by pushing the men out. Um, contracting out the engineers, the custodians, the bus drivers, um, the, the the food attendants. And those people made a strong village in a building. They were they used to be in one building for like mm-hmm. years. So I'll tell you, Andrea, what I, what I That's thought. That's true. What I That's thought. That's true. I, I started education, left education, went to the private sector and came back, right? My thinking was I'm going to be what I had. I had a mother at home. My mother was a single mother, two boys. She raised us. My mother caught the bus every day to work, never missed a day of work. 
strong black woman flat out but my father was absent for real so when i went to school i had all these black men gym teacher all these black role models that were men who were like chris this is what you can do this is what you can be you can do this you can be this you there's no limit to what do you you set your own limits you are your own limits so for me when i came back to the district when students had issues all i saw was women i never saw fathers come in hardly ever hardly ever so so immediately my mind is in that kind of mode even though these are not my children and, and you try not to make it too too personal but you understand what the need is there is a there is a need in our community for strong black men there is a and need. we have to and look at what be, message so what message is that sending to our children right. i have three grandsons yeah. but they have fathers in my family we believe in fathers what message is that sending when a child walks into a school building, a boy, I have three grandsons. One of my grandsons go to Frederick Douglass, and they just see women. He didn't get here just by a woman, that's and God great, didn't make a, a mistake. Well, and I, God sure. didn't make a mistake creating a, a man first. Yeah, I, I, said this, I said this two months ago when I went to a meeting. I went to a meeting. 60 that's people, not balance. 60 people in a room. I go to a meeting, 60 people. There were two black men, and I was one. And I looked around, I said, wow. So my it's grandson is going to feel the same way. Well, He's going to feel invisible. That's great. You, had, to be you done. had the most educated people in front of you. You had the standard. So that was great. Well, see, but, but here's so what So we I, can talk about that a long time. Right. We but, really but, can. But here, here's, here's what I will say. I will say this. We, we owe it. And don't give me an opportunity or give me a job just because to make the numbers. Right. But I think we owe it to our children as they matriculate through this, through any district that if they're african-american children they should see african-american people in Absolutely. leadership positions particularly men we owe it to them to see that and why would wonder, my grandson be attracted to becoming an educator as a black man and he don't see it when he see, see a black woman right. he don't see himself right. so if he don't he's not even interested in especially education especially coming from a single parent household ran by a, a black woman he's so tired of looking that's, at us. so that's gonna that's gonna continue <laughs> well, down the generations of lack of black male educators because the black boys don't see that so what you think diane because you so you what you think? yeah so there there's tons of research that actually that i'm just gonna push on that because when you really look, even when we go back with, um, you know, before Brown, um, black women have been educating black children and still raising, academically raising black males. But not alone. So, no, I'm not saying alone at all. But what I'm saying is that I think that the more black people in um, positive roles, the better. Right. However... If there was a school that was just all black female and they didn't see one single black male, those children are going to be the jam. They're they will going be educated. To, That's true. They're going to be bombed because we know that we are at the nucleus of mankind. So let me let me let me interject this, and I'll push back just a little bit on this. My family, my my mother is the oldest of four sisters. All women. The only male in, that was in my family when I was growing up, the only male figure we had was my grandfather. None of my aunts and mother were married. So my grandfather was the only black role model that we had, right? So that's what we looked at as an example. And at that point, it the, the, the mentality and the narrative was black women could just raise kids on their own without any man, period. Not true. And, 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 and often in Detroit, that's what you had. You had scores and scores of fatherless homes 
all and, all over and, the city. And you know what they happened? They were everywhere. You know, and this, I'm talking about the 80s now. But let me tell you about data. When it comes to black women, the, their medical conditions has increased. Yeah. The stress levels have increased. Yeah. And that is data. Um, you have more black women dealing with medical conditions than ever before yeah. now. Yeah. Um, research. First of all, God don't make no mistakes. So I just need to lift up the Lord. And when we when we push back against Him, then we will find ourselves remaining in chaos and confusion. True. And we also cannot make these young black boys invisible. Because again, I have three black grandsons. Yeah. So when we talk about leadership roles and education. Mm-hmm. If, if we're not going to increase the number of black men in leadership roles, you're making my grandsons invisible. And they're not invisible. There, there's a great um, book. It's called Medical Apartheid. And I'm glad you listed that because we're talking about wellness and we're talking about leadership yes. walks and how how it looks in our lives. Like, mm-hmm. how are we pouring into black children? You know, male, female, how are we doing that? You know, just to kind of bring this conversation back. Yeah, sure. And... Um, you know, so when you start thinking about how you have to have, I, I look at it as a three-pronged approach. When I take, you take theory, you take sheer commitment, and you take respect, and respect to listen to what your community needs. So part of me being a transformative leader, mm-hmm. a culturally responsive leader, is just listening to what the community needs. There cannot be a disconnect between a community need and a school needs. So if the community needs the presence of males more in school, then schools have a responsibility to respond to that. And I agree with you that there needs to be a presence. But however, as educators, we do have to know what does community epistemologies look like opposed to schools epistemologies. There cannot be any separation. And black parents have to be heard. Absolutely. 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 So so before we get ready to wrap up. Well, let me just say the women in my organization want to be married. They saying the brothers is not (laughs) marrying. I just want to put that out there because Detroit know me. I'm out there in the city. Donya's been married how many years? A long time. I, I've been married 19 years, well, but and what, do you, you know, and I, what is your position? And I've been married doing? almost a year. <laughs> and I just been married going well, on three. Thank you. I was Jesus. I was bomb. I was bomb before I got married. I'm gonna be bomb while I'm married. I'm gonna be bomb after. So bomb, bomb, the bomb, oh, the bomb, the gotcha. bomb. But okay. the sister so, is right. The woman is the first teacher. We give birth. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm gonna segue into a couple of different things, but I, first, first and foremost, I do wanna I do wanna say thank you very much for this conversation. This has been very, very enlightening. Very, very enlightening, very, very engaging. Yes. So, so we are blessed to have both of you in we our presence are. today. So been, I told y'all today was a blessed. special day. We have been blessed with this. We have been blessed with this. But before I segue into our next seg- segment here, I do wanna, excuse me. <clears throat> I do want to have an advertising moment here. So for the finest and professional photography services of all types in the metropolitan Detroit area, contact Jared Davis Photography, where we make the magic the world will want to see. Call Jared Davis at 567-343-1980. Again, the number is 567-343-1980. So you all are the perfect people here today for exactly what we're going to transition into which is Retirement Talk with Mel. And so since oh, both nice. of you have 20-plus years in, yeah. this is the perfect day to debut this segment. So this is a yes, new segment is. that we're going to do <laughs> biweekly with Melody J. Nice. Walker 
of Melodic Retirement Services. So, Mel. Yes. Okay, let's yes, get into yes. this new segment. And we have two DPS veteran we people do. here that we can have a real conversation about. About yes. retire know, healthy and wealthy, right? Amen. Oh, so what, what I want to talk about, you know, when it comes to, let me just first say that um, my company, I branded myself as Melodic Retirement Services retire healthy and wealthy however i do have a firm that is behind me which is gop financial group i don't know if you've ever heard of gop financial group i know you work with them but gop financial group is 52 years old and has been educating educators for the last um, 52 years and so um what we do and what i do and what i'm so passionate about is like we said earlier is that you know we have to take care of our educators and it is a travesty because not only the educators that are in this room, but all educators in Michigan um, have a problem that they will face in retirement, and that is that their paycheck will be cut in half. So what they bring home today, they will not bring home when they retire. So the question becomes, how can we help our educators who are taking this pay cut? Because they're not thinking about, you know, some of them are thinking about the money, but they're really passionate about the students. And so... um, for me to be able to go in and educate educators and show them a way that they can actually close that income gap, that is something that is um, a way that I can contribute and take care of educators. Um, educators have a uh, IRS tax law that they are eligible to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. And so when uh, educators sit down with me, rather in person or virtually, I educate them on how to do or how to use that IRS tax um, code to help them close that income gap. Um, Also, you know, when we talk about inner city schools and things like that, um, one thing that I pride myself on and having the ability, you know, I don't mind going through a metal detector. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of the clientele, a lot of the the clients that I serve are DPSCD. And so, um, you know, with that being said, a lot of them just are not aware of what's available to them to help them financially overcome an income gap in retirement. And so it just comes down to having that conversation, allowing me to talk. And so sometimes dealing with black people, you're like, I don't got no money. I don't, I don't you know, I ain't got no money today. You know, and it's like I have to kind of push this wall down and say, you know what, I'm showing you how to give money back to yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I have to break down mental kind of, um, just I think there prisons and barriers, yeah, because yeah. Um, a lot of times people might say they, they look at it like a, a sales thing, and it's just not. It's really just about educating, it's about reshifting um, how we think and, and how we treat money. Um, a lot of what I do is just comes down to just paycheck analysis and really just showing you how you're taxed. Okay, well, you got a zero right here. Why is this a zero? This should really be like a two, and that money needs to go into your retirement. So that for me, and so and so when we have the conversation, then you know I can help educate, and so um, I want to be able to spread the word sure. so that um, all educators in Michigan don't face this this trauma that's happening, which is you know having yeah. your paycheck. Some uh, some uh, some uh, what led me to talk to you? Yes, was listening to Danya <laughs> yeah. talk yeah. about. You know, yeah. charting her path. Yeah. When she's really? ready to. Oh, yeah. Oh, so before oh, I yeah. came in the building, you guys oh, had yeah. a conversation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. plenty over several yeah. days. Yeah. Gotcha. How she was yeah. strategically setting herself up, yeah. you know, for that day. And I was like, okay. So that made me think, okay, Chris, where are you? And I'm like, I'm not anywhere. So I. 
and, and, and let's just go back. That's how me and Chris met. Yeah. Me coming into school, CMA, yeah. handing out a flyer, you oh, know, nice. and I go on the field. It was a no sell for me. Yeah. I, yeah. And I'm surprised I never... Uh, ran into you, Andrea. You've been right, so I'm glad I'm hearing about this. Yeah, because, because I, you know, uh, years ago, uh, people would come in and represent different companes, and it would just come right out of our paychecks. Yeah, then and it does. That, yeah, yeah, it, I, uh, as it should, and it still does. Yeah, it okay. still does. <laughs> yeah, um, good. yeah. So you know, when we talk about um, uh, solving the income gap, um, and then we also talk about you know helping. Um, educators and really just people in our community, black people, really amass generational wealth. You know, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Really, really uh, teaching and educating about how to use life insurance the right way. Correct. You know, how to position it to create generational wealth and intergenerational wealth for our uh, families. And so that's what I'm passionate about. So um, I don't know if you guys have, uh, you know, questions. If you want to ask me something, you know, we can always talk individually. But what I, I just wanted to hone in on the fact that um, I am here as a service to all educators in Michigan. Um, text me your email address and I will send you a retirement workbook and I will also send you a booking link. My phone number is 248 Four zero four eight zero three four, and I will send you uh, what you need to get started. And so, let me say my number again. Yeah, maybe I should I post it said. on here. Two four eight four zero four eight zero three four. I'm going to put it also in the chat too. So, um, yeah, retire healthy been, and wealthy. I've been I believe thinking about in, it a lot lately. What's actually. that? I mean, just just the future, just retirement. Oh, you sure. know, I'm setting myself up for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I owe that to my family and to my children to make sure that I'm I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what yeah. kind of made me. What well, started with again when you're talking to somebody who's already put the thing in play, oh, like yeah. like they got the, everything is in play, like this is what I'm gonna do, this is how I'm gonna do it. It makes you look at yourself and say, well, wait a minute, well I ain't got that, you know, I need to do that like, yeah, and today. A, today. <laughs> today. And a lot of times, unfortunately, we're just living for today. We're not planning for tomorrow, mm-hmm. and so I, I have to um, be the person, the advocate that says, no, the the first rule to financial independence is pay yourself first. Mm-hmm. And so out of every paycheck, a certain amount or a certain percentage needs to be going to you, period. Yeah. And then somebody else can go on a payment plan. Every raise, if every raise I have. I've been living off of my assistant principal salary, my whole principal shit. Oh, that's so smart. Yes. And so that's, I, I, never, I never see a raise. Because and you know it's what? always... Allocated. That. yeah. That's right. And that's one thing that, I, that, that I've been teaching people because one of my mentors told me that mm-hmm. a very long time ago. Every time she got a raise, she just put it in her savings. And oh, she, she did not mm-hmm. increase her expenses. Mm-mm. She stayed living off of the same budget wow. that she was yeah. living off nice. of. I mean, that's, that's what I'm and doing so now. that's just, how you do nice. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so. You got to buy a car every now and then. Yeah, you know, you got to <laughs> yeah. treat yourself. Like today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Retire Healthy and Wealthy with Melodic Retirement Services. We're going to do this bi-weekly, and I'm just going to bring just some fundamental things that I think are important, but today I wanted to just kind of let you know what those services are and let you know how to contact me. Um, today's show, again, has been Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, Chris, what do you want to say? I'm going to ask the ladies to leave us, each of them leave us with something that okay. they think is, is is important for our listeners to hear. Okay. Just something real quick that they think our listeners need to know and hear. And moving forward for the rest of this year, out school, education-wise, whatever, whatever you think is important. So I think it's important that you really commit to being the change that you want to see. Mm. And if you want to reimagine the lives for black children, then you have to be part of the Sankofa love change. 
Thank you very much for that, Danya. Andrea? Yeah, just know that um, the teachers and educators and DPSCD, um, we are passionate about educating your children. Um, we need your partnership in this. Please read to your children. Please pick up a book and spend time reading to your children. Increase literacy in the community. Thank you very much. So this has been another episode of the Real Nonsense Podcast with, Chris, with Dr. Christopher Rogers and Melody J. Walker, where we make it make we make it make sense. We make it make sense. See Thank you. See you next Saturday. Peace. Yay, y'all. Oh, that was wonderful.